Public, let's just end breaking news. Delbor bullshit. Delbor bullshit. No bullshit. Oh, man. This is a dirty fucking town. This is a dirty old town. Remind me of that Pogue song. Dirty old town, Gary. You say it sounds like a song. I am. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe it. I've been working so hard this week. I've been in my. Look, here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to give you the real story on that sociopath police informant slash employee who goes on to whack six people, murdered them, and then the pass in the buck. You're going to be shit. This is bullshit. Okay? We'll get to that. Also, the Detroit police are spying on you. Great. Police don't even know it. That's the proof. More bullshit coming out of there. Taking your cell phone without a warrant. You. You. Only here. You. That's next week's news today. I'm fucking livid. And we were lied to about it. The United States Supreme Court said that's illegal. And we're doing it. Facial recognition? This shit on steroids. That's what that is. Wow. Ah. The latest outrage in Flint. Yeah, they found... Great. They found thousands of cases of water rotten in a warehouse. The guy to find it will join us. Uh, is it Mike Versace or Johnny? I'm calling him Johnny Versace. That sounds Mike cool. Versace, yeah. Yeah, is it Mike? It was Mike. Yeah, he's a, Johnny you guys sounds talk better. To him? Johnny sounds better. <laughs> he's a cool dude. Really cool dude. Unbelievable video. Uh, you know, but before all of that, our special guest today is a real cop. The most important policing officer in the United States since J. Edgar Hoover, Bill Bratton, the former head of the NYPD, the LAPD, the man that came up with broken windows, stop and frisk. I thought we should talk about it since Bloomberg's in the news. Yeah. Right? Computer statistical analysis about crime. He's the man that changed the thought of policing to from reacting to it to preventing it. A very important figure in the history of this country. And he's going to be joining us, which I am uh, really kind of excited about because you deserve to hear from him what all this means. Because it's not really in context, right? I agree. That's great, Mike Bloomberg muttering around and apologizing for we don't know what. But first. Pseudo-apologizing. Yeah, but first. Let me get that right on there. Which one? Let me see your ID. <laughs> see, there you go, the police state. <laughs> I'm just checking, Charlie. We don't want any violations. You know, we don't want any police coming down here. Our good friends at American Coney Island, you know all about them. Oh, that Corner of great. Uh, Michigan Avenue and Lafayette downtown, the red, white, and blue building. The windows aren't leaking anymore. The coolers are at the right temperature. <laughs> Charlie Fickle. That's chili dogs in town. Oh, by the way, the, the punch key thing. And your fries crazy. are really good. All right, look, come on. We're not we're not gonna do that. We gotta get I like to their Bill. Fries. Once we get saying. to Bill, we can yuck yuck. It's a very important guy. But it's Lent. And every Friday. Look at that. Okay, what's on the sandwich, Charlie? Okay, let me tell you what the sandwich is. Okay. That is a fish sandwich. That is Pacific Cod, which there really isn't Pacific Cod. It's Pollock. It's beautiful, more flaky. Oh, wow. Look at that. Mm. Mm, look at that. Look this is food porn. <laughs> <laughs> that cheese? 
Okay. Look at that. Look at the nice lettuce. Okay. Fresh tomato. Ooh. All right. A little tartar. A little tartar. Got to have tartar. And a nice. See, you kill me with that. And a nice bowl. <laughs> <kind of laughs> that was it for me. What kind of seeds? You know, I don't eat anything on sesame. my stuff. Sesame seeds. That looks good, though. Maybe it's one for everybody. Huh? Thanks, Grace. Yeah, mm. Thank you, Grace. Every Friday in American Corny Island, of course, open 365, 24 hours a day. Always there. But that's every Friday. What is this, Charlie? Thanks for bringing that in. What is this? I don't know. Is it foghorn? Vodka leghorn? and soda. Remember, you're on radio. Nobody knows what it is. Well, that's what I'm asking you. Okay, never mind. All right, listen. High let's noon. Go. Never mind. I'll <laughs> and talk also, later. Vodka and soda. News Hour is brought to you by ADR. I know a lot of guys in the construction business wanting to know what to look for when they're doing business in downtown Detroit. Who's on the up and up? Who's on the down low? Who does business the right way? How do you navigate the bureaucracy down there and keep to the rules while growing your business? I refer them to Barry Ellen Tuck at ADR Consultants, Honest, Ethical, Smart. Call 248-318-9424 for a consultation. Whether it's government or private industry, reduce your costs, increase your bottom line. ADR Consultants are experts in procurement, government compliance, information technology, and property management. Get the job done right, on time, on budget. ADR Consultants, 248-318-9424. Not on the down low, Charlie. That's... Yeah, no, I'm doing it. <laughs> okay. I'm doing it. All right. <laughs> Let's see. Because that's what it is down there. It's a big goat. That's not what that means, but okay. We'll what, let what it I ride. What I do with the glasses, okay. <laughs> we'll let it ride. Yeah, see, you notice, though, right off the giggle, I am just not interested in chit-chat bullshit. Not this week. No bullshit. I am pissed. I know, I can This tell. government stinks. It stinks from Washington to Lansing to the city to the head of the police department. It stinks. Nobody's watching out for us. And all the makeup-wearing mannequins on TV trying to tell me what I think. They're not even out. They don't do anything. We'll, you'll see. We'll, we'll put it together. Let's see. We got Bill on the phone? Yep. You there, Bill? I am. Thank Th you. Thanks for joining us, sir. Let me, um, let me, how do I do this? You are... Probably the most, uh, one of the most important people in uh, the subject of policing in America, my opinion. I've known you since New York, uh, where you were the chief of police from 94 to 96, chief of the Los Angeles police from 2002 to 2009, and the chief of New York once again from 13 to 16. So you were the originator of the computer statistical analysis, bringing it to the, Detroit, uh, the New York Police Department, right, sir? The system you're talking about is CompStat, which is uh, C-O-M-P-S-T-A-T. The computer system only allowed for eight letters in naming a system, so it's sharp for computer statistics. Uh, it was birthed in New York and literally spread across American policing over the next several years. It is a system uh, used by your chief of police in Detroit, who formerly worked with me in Los Angeles when he was a captain during the time I was chief of police out there. And what is the importance of that? How was that a shift in, in American policing? The shift of it was, first off, the belief that police could do something about preventing crime. Charlie, in the 70s and 80s, American police had given up on the idea of being able to prevent crime, focused all their attention on the response to it. 
that was both a belief within the profession, but it was accelerated and supported by the political belief that crime was caused by uh, things beyond the control of police, uh, the economy, poverty, racism, demographics. Drugs. Uh, uh, drugs that uh, was being a significant influence. Uh, I was part of a small group of emerging police leaders in the 70s and 80s who really did believe that the primary role of police had to be to find ways to prevent crime, that we couldn't just measure our success by how many people we locked up, uh, how many uh, arrests we made. And that was the principal measurement of police, uh, uh, clearance rates, they were called. And it's uh, what contributed to a significant increase in prison population because we weren't doing a good job preventing crime, but we were doing a better job with modern forensics uh, uh, and other technology in making arrests after the fact. So the idea of CompStat was, uh, it has four elements to it. Uh, I used part of that in the 70s when I was a young chief in Boston, brought it to transit police in the early 90s, and then with the uh, wonderful creativity of a now-deceased uh, a uh, uh, colleague of mine, Jack Maple, was a transit police lieutenant, and I made him my deputy commissioner for crime control strategies when I took over the NYP in 1994. We perfected uh, what came to be known as CompStat as four elements. Timely, accurate intelligence. Gather up your crime information every day, and now basically many departments do it. As soon as a crime occurs, it enters into the data processing system. Timely, accurate intelligence. Rapid response to that intelligence, identify a pattern and trend after two, three, four incidents, rather than waiting till it started emerging as 20 or 30. Third element of it is effective tactics. What's going to work to, one, stop that pattern from growing? Uh, is it uniform? Is it plain clothes? Is it task forces? Is it federal agency center? And then lastly, uh, once you've, in fact, stopped the disease from growing, relentless follow-up to ensure it doesn't come back. Uh, think of it from a medical perspective. I use a lot of medical comparisons because in medicine, uh, the old uh, Hippocratic Oath was the idea to do no harm to yeah. the patient, mm-hmm. although doctors are authorized to cut you, to medicate you, to do horrible things to your body in the hope of effectively curing you. In policing, uh, we also have a similar uh, ethos, if you will, the idea to do minimum, um, minimum use of force, et cetera, minimum use of our power in trying to correct behavior. So doctors are trying to correct illnesses. We're trying to correct illness. Uh, behavior. But it's the same thing. Uh, think of it from a uh, cancer perspective. Yeah, cancer. That's, that's why I'm, I'm building up to that, which is you're identifying through your computer model crime and then what to do about it, where to attack, where it's flaring up, which leads to bro- the broken windows theory, right? Which is low well, level. Bro- bro- broken windows, uh, Charlie, is a, is a significant element of it. It's incredibly misunderstood and being misportrayed by many of the uh, social justice reform is intentionally being missed. Uh, Let me see if uh, I got it because I, I covered it when you implemented it and I lived under it. And that was sort of a low level crime disorder leads to an environment that leads to more serious crime. So I remember famously the squeegee guy and what you would do is he'd get ticketed for vagrancy or harassment or whatever. And he'd be cited. And then the beat cop was able to call prosecutors and say, did he show up for court? The prosecutor would say, no, he didn't. 
So that guy would be violated for not showing up to court, given his 30 days, and shown how he's going to behave. He's not going to come up to my, my car and harass me. It's sort of like that, right? Well, it's the idea of correcting behavior when it's minor behavior. Let's say she's a sense of correct a, a young child who, if uh, uncorrected, is going to just continue doing more and more harm. Uh, so you gave one example of it. Let me give you, using the medical analogy, another example of it. Uh, and using the idea of uh, understanding that broken windows policing is about dealing with crime that uh, an officer witnesses usually the idea of uh, uh, graffiti, uh, vandalism, uh, public drinking, uh, uh, when marijuana was uh, illegal in many locations, smoking marijuana, a minor sale of it. So like a doctor who early on you go to the doctor because you're not feeling well, he does an exam. He he, he finds uh, something on your skin that he's concerned with. Timely act intelligence, rapid response. He puts you through a bunch of tests. Uh, uh, you got a melanoma, basal cells developing into a melanoma. He then uses effective tactics. He's going to use chemo. He's going to use radiation. Might have to use surgery. And just once once again, he's going to try to do minimum harm to you while he tries to cure you. But um, every one of those things did you is say harm? Um? Okay. Um, that's, that's that Boston accent. I'm busting so, your balls, uh, Bill. But okay. the idea is, uh, and this is another term that we've evolved from CompStat in the 90s as we've found at the corner of the 21st century, much the same as doctors have gotten much better with precision trying to work on your cancer. They use MRIs. They use all types of technology. They're using lasers now rather than scalpels. The idea is to destroy as few cells as possible while dealing with the cancer that will kill you. Similarly, policing has gotten much better at perfecting. There's something we developed in the LAPD in 2004 and 2005, something we call predictive policing, that based on certain forms of behavior, we could predict when a crime might occur, where it might occur, and who might commit it. And the idea being, like a doctor, with that intelligence, that you would effectively be able to concentrate not on 100 kids in the neighborhood, but the one kid in the neighborhood, like the one bad cell among the 100 good cells on a person's body. Uh, so you don't have to basically stop 100 kids and do a stop and question maybe a frisk. But you're focusing your attention on known problems, people who have already committed an offense, and you're now trying to deter them from committing more, and maybe more serious offenses. In the meantime, you're leaving the good kids alone. That, uh, so it's the idea yeah. of, uh, and the way we do this is to what we call community policing in the 90s. We call neighborhood policing now in the 21st century. Trying to have cops be able to be kept in a small geographic area where they get to know the kids, kids get to know them. So the cop is able to identify the good kids from the bad kids, focus his energy on the bad kids, trying to keep him out of trouble, but also being the other way to work with the good kids to, and to keep them on the straight and narrow. Okay, so, so this, this is all this is all basic common sense stuff. It is, but then this this goes to stop and frisk, which I typed it out today so I could be clear to people. It's the practice of temporarily detaining, questioning, and or searching civilians and suspects on the street for weapons and contraband. This was ruled to be constitutional by the United States Supreme Court in 1968 in Terry versus Ohio, that case. So um, this, that said that the suspicion of danger to an officer was grounds for a reasonable search. Critics, including myself, say 
This has led to uh, a surge of needless shakedowns and abuse by police. And, and you know it because when you came back to New York, this is what Bloomberg's got to defend now. There was over a half a million people being shaken down for no real probable cause, no danger to an officer, nothing suspicious going on. Well, not only just a half a million people, but a half a million people overwhelmingly of color. Yeah. Well, you New York because they, they weren't stopping and frisking me, white guy walking down the yeah, street. Yeah, see, they, they didn't do you, dude, but again, they did me. Yeah. Okay, so always, like, you know, You're it's not minority, just... minority, Charlie. I mean, that's fine. But Minorities minority. count. I'm uh, just yes, saying. Do, I mean, you know, all of overwhelmingly, us. Overwhelmingly, and that's what the issue with Bloomberg is, because it was overwhelmingly, in his description, people that were of color, black and brown people fit a description of suspicion. Well, I think what Bill would tell you and what Bloomberg tried to say and he can no longer say is the the majority of violent perpetrators are people of color and the majority of victims are people of color. This thing got away, did it not, Bill? Let me expand for a moment. I uh, first have to ask you that. Did it get away from him in New York? It did, and let me explain how it happened, why it happened, and uh, uh, how it's been corrected. That broken windows uh, is broken windows enforcement. The crimes you're enforcing are effectively crimes. They may be misdemeanor-type crimes, uh, graffiti, vandalism, drinking in public. But a police officer witnesses a crime, and he has more than reasonable suspicion. He has probable cause that a crime has been committed. Stop, question, and frisk in the language in Terry versus Ohio is the idea of a lesser form of evidence of proof called reasonable suspicion. A police officer who has reasonable suspicion that a person has, is about to, or is committing a crime can be stopped. He can be questioned. And if the officer feels, based on something he has to be able to articulate, uh, more than uh, uh, a suspicion, but a reasonable fear that the individual may be armed, the officer is allowed to frisk. And the frisk consists of a pat-down of outer clothing. And, you know, the feel is in a knife, is in a gun. Most stop and questions do not end in a frisk. And But you often heard the term stop and frisk. Everybody leaves out the middle portion of it, which is the questioning, which then may lead sometimes to the frisk. So in any event, Understand that broken windows is very different than stop, question, and frisk because broken windows, a crime has been committed, usually in the officer's presence or a witness who says to the officer, I saw him do this. Reasonable suspicion is just that, suspicion. So the idea of trying to conflate the two, they are two different phenomenons. In New York, what happened, starting in the 90s, we began to enforce broken windows for the first time in 25 years. Police had done nothing to enforce broken windows. And why is that so important? That even in the city where one out of every 10 people was a victim of serious crime, 10 out of 10 people every day would see broken windows being committed, fear evasion, uh, the graffiti, the uh, squeegee pest, if you will, the aggressive begging, the drinking in public, the smoking of marijuana in the public. So that was creating a fear issue way above the fact of the actual crime, which was a phenomenal amount of crime in New York, Detroit, America. America went crazy in the 80s with the issue of both crime and disorder. New York was one of the first cities to try to attack both. CompStat was focused on attacking serious crime with the belief we could do something about it by detecting it earlier and thus preventing it from growing like a cancer. 
broken windows was an essential element because it oftentimes allowed us to identify a growing problem before it became a more serious crime. What happened in New York City after 9-11 was the idea that during Bloomberg's 12 years in office, something not widely known, to deal with some of the budgetary impact of 9-11, to deal with the economic crisis of 2008, to try and find more funding for a very ambitious school initiative, that the size of the New York City police force was cut by 6,000 officers. I think about 4,000 in Detroit. So just think 6,000 officers over that period of time. Very quietly done. Most people weren't aware of it. To offset the loss of that many officers, the bulk of whom were coming from patrol, visible, uniformed people out in the street, Bloomberg's police commissioner at the time, Kelly, think of Kelly as a doctor. I'm another doctor. We have differing opinions about how to treat the patient. Ray Kelly, to deal with the loss of 6,000 street officers, came up with a program that twice a year, when the academy classes graduate in New York, and those classes are big, they've got 1,500 to 2,000 officers mm-hmm. twice a year in a force of 36,000, would assign those new kids right out of the academy to what were called impact zones. They would identify the 15 to 20 worst crime precincts out of the 75 in the city of New York and assign those kids with minimum supervision into those neighborhoods. The idea of walking officers in pairs, they would be there to deter crime, but also to look for crime and disorder. The problem compounding this, one, your least experienced kids, poorly supervised in some of the toughest neighborhoods of the city, was that at the same time in Comstat, they began measuring how many stops were these kids making. Results, data, 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 results, right? Exactly. Instead of measuring actual crime that occurred, what you were measuring was something that had not even occurred. And so there was a stimulation and encouragement of these kids to get numbers. And unfortunately, since they were poorly supervised, the idea of the reasonable suspicion that they needed to articulate for the stop, all of that began to disintegrate. So you had thousands of young kids young cops working principally in minority neighborhoods, or unfortunately in every major city in America, the majority of crime, unfortunately, is in poor minority neighborhoods. So you had a significant impetus to stop people, oftentimes without the appropriate reasonable suspicion. It grew from during my time in New York with a hell of a lot more crime in the 90s. We did about 100,000 a year, uh, 94, 95, the two years as commissioner. Well, at the same time, we're reducing overall crime by 40%. During Commissioner Kelly and Bloomberg's time, it went from about 100,000 in 2001 up to 2010. It got as high as almost 700,000. 2010, yes, it was. The began to do something about that. And what Kelly and Bloomberg, their mistake was they did not publicly admit the mistake. Kind of like Trump in the White House and admitted a mistake. Oh, snap! was quietly start reducing the number of stops so that by 2013, Bill de Blasio, who was number eight in a field of eight candidates running for mayor, seized on stop question of Frisk as his issue, ended up winning the election with the idea that he would not stop stop question of Frisk. He would modify it because I was advising him. The idea you could keep the city safe with a lot less chemo and radiation impacting on all these minority kids. Let me let so me interrupt, Bill. What'd you do? What did you do? Because let me well, let me throw this let me throw this in. Let me throw this in for the listeners. 
You became de Blasio's super liberal bill, right? Old bobbly bill. You became his chief of police, and in 2014, it went from a half a million, right? Stop, question, and frisk. uh, Charlie, it it had already gone from a half a million down to when we came in. It was, I think, about 100,000, 150,000 a year. They had been reducing it for four years, but not taking any credit for the reduction. So By 16, when you left, it was 12,000, Bill, and crime did not spike. So how— Basically, again, different doctors. Uh, de Blasio and I believe that you can keep crime going down in an incredibly safe city with a lot less medicine, a lot less stops. And effectively, right now, it's averaging about 12,000 documented stops because it's under the monitorship of a federal monitor. But a lot more uh, so the, what? The accuracy, you, 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 the said accuracy, lot, the, you said a lot less. Well, let me introduce you. Bill Bratton, this is Karen Dumas. Oh, I'm sorry. Hi, she, Bill. You, you've probably met her when you were here in town. Go ahead. But, so you did. You told us what you did a lot less of. What did you do more of? Well, what we did more of was the, basically the expansion of the potential of CompStat, the idea of the ability with better intelligence gathering, quicker intelligence gathering, the ability of predictive policing, precision policing, to really identify more precisely the approximately five to 7,000 principally gang members of uh, uh, basically career criminals, in a population of 8.5 million people. New York has about five to 7,000 uh, career criminals who repeatedly, I'm looking at the daily news here today, uh, one guy's been arrested 142 times in the subway system for vandalizing subway machines, broken windows. But the inconvenience to the public of coming into a station not being able to pay the fare because his character, uh, this he's been arrested 142 times. How many times has he actually done it? But what we did, we basically improved our focus on crime because we have better forensics technology. We have DNA. We have so many more skills and capabilities. We better trained our officers. I'll be very frank with you with that. We significantly revamped the way they were trained, the way they're supervised. But we also put into place simultaneously with this crime and quality of life enforcement effort uh, what we call neighborhood policing, something that I had begun back in the 70s in Boston, more commonly known as community policing in the 90s. But we've totally reorganized the NYPD 77 precincts that broke them up into three or four sectors. Each sector gets two neighborhood coordinating officers who are uniformed officers who spend all their time in that sector working on crime, disorder, building up relationships, holding meetings. They then work with the approximately 12 other officers who are assigned to the radio cars in that area. So we have a significantly reduced crime problem. We have a significantly reduced quality of life problem. And we have hundreds of thousands of particularly uh, uh, black and Latino young men being stopped by the police. So there's time for relationship building. It's now being tested, however, that in this city, like many around the country, there's been a criminal justice reform effort, a bail reform effort that uh, has very dramatically changed the crime and disorder picture in New York City in two months' time. Uh, The end of this month, February, this law went into effect January 1st about uh, bail reform uh, and the idea of a lot of changes in the criminal justice uh, documentation system. Crime in New York uh, is up, I think, uh, we'll be reporting the end of February, by about 20% after 30 years straight decline every year. Let me ask this, Bill, because, look, uh, did we, there's a natural level of crime 
and there's a natural level of policing that people will take. You were there when Eric Garner got choked out by the NYPD. That mm-hmm, pretty that's right. much that happened in 2014. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that really kind of ignited the Black Lives Matter movement, and really kind actually of, it did not. It was uh, Black Lives Matter that that happened. Well, they, well, let me let me finish. It, it, that launched it in the national consciousness. Let's say no, not at all. The uh, my consciousness. The event, the events in Missouri uh, were what launched the uh, Black Lives uh, Matter uh, movement nationally. The Ghana matter attracted a lot of attention in New York, but then it was somewhat dormant till Missouri. And true, Missouri. True, enough. true enough. And so effectively, the Ghana incident was rekindled as a result of the combination of the events in Ferguson with Michael Brown. Right. So, so what I'm thinking is New York drove crime. It's unimaginable, like what began with you and then, and then turned into a Frankenstein's monster. But uh, it was reasonable when you, I remember it. Is there such a level where civil liberties meet safety? There's a natural rate of crime that we have to accept in America that you can't drive it to zero. That naturally, if you got off of people's necks in New York, crime's going to go up a little bit. Well, let's take New York, the, the one I'm most intimate with, although I track nationally what's going on, have some familiarity with what's going on in your city. In New York... My city's a mess. Uh, when I first got there in 1990, there were over 500,000 reported crimes. That's this uh, rape, robbery, burglary, murders, shootings, etc. 2,000 murders. 2,243 murders. Something we started documenting for the first time of any police department in America was shootings. And in the streets of New York in the early 90s, there were over 5,000 people shot in the streets of New York, which most people were shocked at, because that number had never been recorded and reported on before we got there. So think of that. This year, 2019, I think the figure was less than 300 murders, and the shootings were down to, I think, about 880. How many murders in New York last year? Less, Less than 300. In a city of eight and a half million. That's the same number. New York had the same number of murders, give or take, as Detroit. Exactly. Our population is nowhere near eight and a half million. Nowhere. Twelve times larger. And the overall crime number of 500,000 reported crimes in New York City last year, I think it was about 96 or 98,000, down from 500,000. So how low can it go? Well, there's an example of how low it actually went. However, what just changed in January this year, in the well-intended effort to continue trying to find minimum ways of uh, intruding on people's civil liberties, et cetera, the legislature in New York, like many around the country, is effectively trying to massage bail reform, prison reform, criminal justice reform. Unfortunately, the way they went about it here, they have created a, uh, an abrupt change in the uh, uh, well-being of the patient. Think of it, for the first time in 30 years, crime in two months' time in New York City has gone up by double-digit figures. Uh, oh, I 3, get 3,000 additional victims in January and February, when the trending prior to bail reform was continuing to go down. So how low could it go? Well, we don't know, because we now had this interjection of well-intended but with significant unintended consequences. You kind of saw that in San Francisco, too. You did. They well, did. San Francisco is what a lot, a lot of what's going on in America today is that there's been a real pullback from 
the focus on broken windows policing, if you will. Uh, there's also the, the is that a re- is that a repudiation of your legacy? Do you think like no? I don't think I'm, I'm very comfortable with my legacy. I think particularly over time, as things continue to worsen in America, there's going to be an understanding that in some respects we're undertreating the patient. And to but the good news is going back to treat the patient. We have proven methods that are successful, but like medicine, where over time medicines get better, we hope, and are constantly evolving, improving. Similarly, here, did we make mistakes? So a case in point, the most vivid example is what happened in New York, where the leadership in New York believed the way to keep crime going down was expanding use of stop, question, and frisk. I didn't believe that. Shakedown, so, shakedown. Yeah, and it's just, uh, so you can have a safer city and at the same time a less intrusive police force, but from time to time, like a patient that has a relapse, you have to have the capability to, with precision, apply the medicines that you are constantly perfecting. And so in New York City, it's right now, there's about five to 7,000 individuals out of 8.5 million most of what you read in the paper, there's, there's three examples in today's uh, uh, New York Times, Daily News, and Post of several individuals in the subways in particular. Subways in New York are the lifeline of the city, and six million people a day ride them. So what happens in the subways is much more noticed than what happens up in the streets. And here's an example of people engaged in minor crime, broken windows, but are creating so much havoc below ground. The problem with the bail reform initiative that was just put into place you kind of put them in jail, that uh, they get arrested and they're released immediately before the cop finishes the paperwork. And that's time because that's, that's because we were sticking a bunch of shitheads in jail that didn't need to be there that long. You know, like, Well, the idea is you have to find some way to penalize people who repeatedly break the law. Well, and I got to agree with that. I got to agree with that. I do. But again... But it's the idea, uh, Charlie, being able to effectively understand the makeup of a lot of these repeat offenders. Many of them, unfortunately, through no fault of their own, have significant mental issues. And we do a better job, it's still a deplorable job, of trying to deal with them. Forty percent of the people in our jails and prisons have mental issues. They'd be better off in mental institutions. And we don't have to go for that either. Then we have those with narcotics problems, which is a significant majority. And then we have a, a smaller core element who are just they're, they're like criminals. So crime will never be eradicated. I understand that. No, as long as you but, have people, you're always going to have and, crime. And, but and, and, and just, I get just that. think of how low we reduced it. And that's good. But are organizations or institutions on the front end doing what they're supposed to do to address the issues that you said were contributing factors to crime? Who's what organization? I mean, well, I mean, you're talking specific. education. You're talking about in the schools. Health. Well, whether it's school, mental health, well, no, you asked social, a, sorry, you, you asked an open-ended got, question, but what social, do you mean? I mean education, the schools, I mean the schools, I mean mental health, the hospitals, the hospitals, social age, social service agencies. Okay, yeah. I mean, just you know, I, I always are those being funded? Is that what you're saying? Not funded. Are they doing what they're supposed to do? I have to bring okay. it back home. Here, we've got seventy-seven thousand nonprofit organizations in the state of Michigan. Are those organizations, whether they're here or in New York or in any other area across the country, doing what they're supposed to do to help what you're doing on the back end? Are they doing that on the front end? I say no. And I say I don't even care about nonprofits. I'm like, where's the gov? Where's the government? No, no. Where's the government? Well, but that's part of it, Charlie. Well, that is that's part of the, of that's it. most of it. Nonprofits try to fill holes, Bill. 
you know, in, in, you know, I was in New York when the Queen closed the Queen's Mental Hospital and put everybody on the street, right? Lafayette the schools, here. you know, are failing. There's no rec centers. All those nonprofits, no offense, a lot of them are bullshit. We won't spend the money as a society we need to. Did I? An- Sorry, Bill, I, I answered it for you. Yeah, you did. You could do I it. I just wanted Bill's input. I'm, I'm, I, but I, they're not doing anything. I got that. I wanted his take I, on I'm it. I'm sorry. Well. I'm going to go over here. That's okay. Go ahead, Bill. Your turn. <laughs> Well, I have perspective on it. Remember we talked about the community policing of the term use in the 1990s. In the 70s, as a young lieutenant developing an initiative that could have been called community policing, but Boston being a city of neighborhoods, we called it neighborhood policing. The idea was uh, a three-legged stool, if you will. There was partnership. And partnership brings into account government, brings into account the non-profit, brings into account business, brings into account community. Partnership that focus on the problems that are making a neighborhood feel unsafe or actually be unsafe, but to identify and prioritize those problems is where the partnership comes in because the police look at it one way, <laughs> not business looks at it another way, the nonprofit, the community might look at it another way. So you have to try to find uh, common ground where we can all kind of get together and Understand you can't do everything all at the same time, but you can prioritize. And the third P, if you will, of that concept of neighborhood policing, community policing, and something I have committed my 50 years in the business to focusing on, is the idea of prevention. So Robert Peel, the creator of the Metropolitan Police in London in 1829, had nine principles of policing. You read those today, they're more appropriate today than were back then. And the first one was the basic mission for which the police exist is to prevent crime and disorder. The 70s and 80s, we got away from doing anything about disorder because we were reducing the size of the police forces. Social institutions were drying up. Government was just not spending money. They were letting people out of the mental institutions and then just leaving them on the streets. We created the homeless problem when we basically closed the mental institutions. And then the idea of prevention was just basically gone away with. The idea was in policing, when I began... We were measured on the number of arrests. How quickly did we get to a call after the crime had occurred? That's what's going on here. Exactly. Well, it's still going on. still going on, but part of what we changed in the 90s, and I was one of, I I think I was probably the first police chief in America who stood up and said, we will prevent crime. That's why you're on the show, Bill. That's right. one One of the reasons Giuliani hired me when he interviewed me after the success we had reducing crime in the subways of New York in the early 90s, could you do this? Could you and George Kelling, the, the godfather of broken windows, do the same thing in the streets of New York? And we said we could. We would focus on broken windows disorder and crime. I got to say, I got to throw this in. Bill, I got to throw this in. And then when you appeared in the newspapers too much and you were having a cocktail at Elaine's. I was there once when you were having one, that little name drop in there. Rudy got jealous and fired your ass, didn't he? Come on. Well, the, the, the Make man, a little man, news for me, Bill. Rudy man, got man. jealous and fired you because you were successful and he wasn't getting credit. True? May I had campaigned on the idea about doing something about crime, but uh, kind of like the president in the sense there's only room on the stage for one person. That's I've a yes! A, That's a I've yes! I've worked for a variety of mayors. Worked with Mayor Dinkins, uh, uh, first uh, black mayor in New York when I was in the transit police, with Giuliani. Had success under both of those mayors. 
worked with Mayor Hahn and Mayor Villagosa in Los Angeles, had phenomenal success with the two of them dealing with issues of race, crime disorders. And then now have worked with uh, Mayor de Blasio, who uh, quite clearly is one of the most uh, uh, left-wing progressive uh, mayors in America and teaming up with uh, uh, Bernie Sanders. So just a reflection of how far to the left he is, how progressive he is. So Bill, can all I, of the can things you, I've done, I've been able the... to do under mayors of both both wings of the uh, various parties, if you will. Bill, can I ask you about the about Boston's 10-point plan? Did you have anything to do with that, or what was your assessment as to whether or not it was effective? Well, because yeah, that, that it, was, is that? that? That Basically, the 10-point plan was an initiative back it's in the 90s. I, I was police commissioner in Boston in 1993 before being hired to come down to New York. And my successor, Paul Evans, who came on the job with me in 1970, uh, I was instrumental in helping Paul get appointed as my successor. Before I had left, I had been approached by David Kennedy from the uh, Kennedy School at Harvard about an initiative that he had, uh, some ideas he had that sounded pretty good to me about what effectively became the 10-point plan in Boston, different ways of trying to deal with the prevention of crime, dealing with youth in a different way. Paul Evans embraced that concept, put it into place, with great success, that particularly a lot of juvenile crime we're having, deaths among juveniles, the crime situation in Boston improved dramatically uh, uh, in Paul Evans' tenure and then continued. And even to this day, Boston also remains uh, one of the safest cities in America. Like every major American city, still has pockets of uh, serious crime, particularly in minority neighborhoods, same neighborhoods that when I was growing up as a kid, 50 years later, the prime problem in Boston is still in those same neighborhoods, but much less. And the development that's gone on in those neighborhoods has helped to reduce that. But the 10-point plan that she is referencing uh, is uh, effectively the core of any of these successes around the country. It's because 10-point plan was about partnership with the ministers, partnership with the business community, partnership with the educators trying to effectively find more activities for kids after school, jobs for them. And so the kernels of most success in cities around the country, including your own, are the idea of partnership. You talk about those tens of thousands of not-for-profits in Michigan, that's great, but if you can't get them to coordinate their activities, you squander a lot of those resources because they're duplicative, they're repetitious. And uh, the idea is that the, the strength is in collaboration. My second book was called Collaborator Perish, and the whole idea of with collaboration, you get forced multiplication. All right, let me do this, Bill. I don't know about the 10-point plan. I'll have to look that up, plus the 9-point plan. and uh, Two things, real quick. One, one-third of the Detroit police force now has less than five years on the job, and we've got rookies and sophomores patrolling together. Short answer. Is that a good idea, or is that, that a ticking time bomb? The majority of the police actively patrolling the streets of any American city would tend to have uh, five years or less. That's the reality, because as they age, they go into other assignments, promote up detective assignments, inside jobs. New York City, uh, it's 13,000 or 14,000 uh, uh, police officers who actively work the streets out of 36,000. The bulk of them probably have five years or less. One-third of the the entire force has less than five years. Is that normal? 
That's correct. Around the country, you're going to find the bulk of the people on the streets in major cities. No, the whole department, though. Just the whole department. Is it usually that new? No, not at all. Because you basically, the average uh, uh, retirement time is 20, 25, 30 years. So, so is that safe for the officers the of the community? The, co- the, cops, the cops patrolling the streets sure. tend to be the junior officers. What we tried to do in Los Angeles, and Los Angeles, when I got there, already had this model. And I took that model and brought it back to New York, and we put it in place in New York. Was that a rookie police officer for the first year on the job after coming out of six months in the academy? I was on the streets of Boston in 1970 after six weeks in the academy, myself and Paul Evans. Now, in, almost without exception, in major American cities, they go through six to eight months in the academy, which is still not enough. But in Los Angeles and New York, when they come out, you try for the first year not to let them work together by themselves, but they always mm. have to be assigned to what we call a field training officer right. for the first year, who is a more senior officer. And you know, we it, don't have that, Bill. We're not doing that. It's probably interesting why uh, uh, your chief uh, has not done that, because he comes out of the L.A. system and uh, uh, he understands that it might be the issue of not having enough senior officers that he can assign to that. I, I just don't know enough That about is, that's the, the reason, because they all left, because we're not paying. Let, let, last well, thing, let, let me say this to you. Here's a quote from you. This will be the last one. And you're, you're the man. Thanks for coming on. So everybody doesn't think you're like a, just an old white guy who just looks at it like he's from Southside Boston. Where in Boston are you from, by the way? Dorchester. Dorchester. Isn't that where yeah, the Marky Mark yeah. comes from? Actually, he grew up down the street. He grew up actually over in South Boston, which was right adjacent to Dorchester. Isn't that where the Starbucks incident took place? I don't know. I'm asking you. I don't even know what that is. Oh, Charlie. Anybody know what she's talking about? Remember where the there was a, a racial issue? The racial in Starbucks? issue in Starbucks. Starbucks yeah. A, yeah. I thought that was in Seattle. It's everywhere. That was in, that was in, that was in Boston. <laughs> You're killing me, Charlie. Yeah, I'm not aware of the one in Boston, but the national one was in Philadelphia. Wait, I remember the one in Seattle. I remember the one on Woodward. Okay, they're everywhere. Let Don't go quote, to Starbucks. Let me quote Dorchester Bill Bratton here: "Slavery, our country's original sin, set on a foundation codified by laws enforced by police by slave catchers. Since then, the stories of police and black citizens have been intertwined again and again. The unequal nature of that relationship cannot." And must not be denied. Did you say that, Bill? That's correct. And uh, let me amplify that, if I may, before I hop off from you. The history of this country, 1619, first slaves arrived. Uh, first settlers are actually settling in. The white settlers who were fleeing religious persecution. The idea of the night watchman, the town crier, uh, the person that was going to you know, basically watch out for the citizens, also was born around the same time. Over time, the next 200 years leading up to the Civil War, uh, the evolution of slavery in the country, but the evolution of policing, professional police departments being established, a significant part of the role of police, particularly in the South, but also in the North, where they were oftentimes by law required to effectively be slave catchers for those who were escaping from the South, that relationship between police and, and, and blacks, whether slaves or freedmen, was always very tense. And then moving beyond the uh, 
Civil War with the, with the alleged emancipation of the black population. We move into a period of time of 100 years of uh, quasi-emancipation, where in many parts of the South in particular, slavery continued under another name called basically uh, Jim Crow laws and sharecropping. And in some respects in the North, you had forms of segregation that effectively kept whites and blacks apart. Once again, during that period, police were expected to enforce the colored-only laws, etc. And so the relationship between uh, minorities, blacks, and police also was very tense. After the Civil Rights Acts of the 1960s, we saw some improvement. But what compounded the problem of relationships between police and black communities was, unfortunately, that so much of the violence that American cities were experiencing in the cities was in the black neighborhoods. And then as the Latino neighborhoods began to develop, also in those poor neighborhoods. So once again, police were in there enforcing laws in greater numbers than they were in other parts of the community because, again, you put cops on the dots. Where is the crime occurring? That's where you put the cops. And in enforcing the laws, this is where the tension arises. And that's effectively what we saw in New York City with the inappropriate use of a lot of officers in minority neighborhoods, not properly supervised, not properly trained, misusing stop, question, and frisk to the extent that it finally blew up, if you will, in 2010 and then 2015 again. So the good news is that the effort over the last 30 years, and this is basically uh, an evolutionary uh, initiative, under community policing, better trained officers, more minority officers, better understanding of how to work on these relationships. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm one of the leaders of American policing. American police chiefs tend to be, by and large, very progressive moderates that are uh, the major city chiefs. And I'm one of them. The extent that in L.A., which probably had some of the worst racial tensions of any city in America, where it was literally open warfare between the LAPD under former Chief Parker, former Dale Gates, that uh, it was, you know, the two of the worst riots in American history occurred in that city with significant loss of life. That when I finally left there in 2009, after working there seven years, one of my proudest accomplishments was a comment by a uh, community activist in Watts, Sweet Alice, who had grown up on a sharecrocker farm down in the deep south in the 40s and 50s and migrated. Upon leaving L.A., and I'd worked very closely with her and the black leadership, she says to me, uh, Chief, you know why we like you so much? And I said, no, Sweet Alice, why is that? She says, because you see us. You really see us. And that was the best compliment I've had in 50 years of policing. The idea that here, a white kid growing up in an all-white neighborhood, went to all-white schools in very segregated Boston, that in 2009, as chief of police in a city that had been at war with its minority population, one of the principal black activists in that community growing up in the Deep South during the time of Jim Crow and before the, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, would say to that white chief, you see us. In other words, she understood that despite my color, despite the color of my uniform, that I understood their issues, their history, their needs, and was trying to work with them to do something about it. And the second compliment as I went out the door was the L.A. Times, which was extraordinarily hostile to the, uh, the LAPD, understandably, a very progressive liberal paper, also had an editorial that, uh, as I went out the door, that finally 
After 50 years, a corner has been turned on race relations in Los Angeles. So it can be done, not easy to do. There are a lot of three, 400 years of history to uh, uh, work against, but it can be done. The good news is in the last 20 years, looking at my 50 years, the last 20 years uh, we've made a lot of progress, but there's still so much more that needs to be done. Bill, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thanks for being here as we let you go. Who are you voting for? In terms of I exert President. the privilege of America that I don't have to pronounce who I'll be voting yeah, for. Yeah, but th- th- don't be a puss. <laughs> Tell me who you're voting for. No, in terms of, uh, it, at the moment, there's, uh, there's somebody on the Democratic side, if I vote Democratic, that, uh, no, I'll, uh, I'll wait and see what it looks like on Election Day. I'm going to vote for a gerbil. I, I just, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Right. Good talking to all of you. Thank you, you too, Bill. Thank you, too, Bill. Okay. Thank, thank you so Bye-bye. much, Bill. Thank you. No, why are you guys rolling your eyes and not saying anything? Well, I guess for me, I'm, I'm hearing what he's saying, and I think that he has done everything that he said he did. But when we talk about race relations in the police department, it's, there's one word that has to exist. Well, two, it has to be training, and there has to be respect. I don't think it has anything to do with any preconceived I notion see. that why, police why officers you, why? are pushed back in the black community. Well, I, I you you felt that. like that was missing or something, but you didn't ask it. Well, I mean, he's, you know, chatty. Yeah, yeah, but so you, you could have just said it. Well, but then you were closing him out, too. So, I mean, but it, it's fine. I understand, you know, and, and well, a person and, of his stature wants to be acknowledged. No, 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 I'm not letting that go. Yeah, well, well, he well and, and, and he's not going to acknowledge the fact that there's internal racism. You know, well, from the police. You know, and 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 I don't feel like I can comment on that because I'm a white guy. Like you know, I I don't. It's in a pattern with you. Well, but I'm just saying. But I don't worry when a cop pulls me over in a car. I get combative or but, whatever. But this is the other and, thing. And he said, you know, with minority cops, the cop that that uh, that uh, handcuffed and arrested a six year old black girl the other day. Was a black guy. Was a black cop. Yeah. So it's not about always the race. It's that. Power. It's, it's exactly that empowerment that people feel because they have a badge and a gun. I actually heard you two. Your guys are just having a, an internal shit that he didn't even say. It's not always about race. I don't think he said that. I think you just said that, but you didn't ask him while he was here. Well, he, well he, he I think we're talking to you about power. Well, but I, I think he, he kind of ignored the fact. All you had ra- to do was ask. That race is always involved. I just think, I, 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 I don't, like, I, I think that's bullshit, no, actually. But like Wait, Bob no, 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 okay. I'm talking. That's bullshit. I just heard him go through the fucking history of it. No. And trying, right? I just did. Okay. What do you mean, no? But that's his perspective, like Bob said. He has no, but you said, wait, no, no, no don't, I'm, I'm a pretty good debater. Let's I just debate. heard what he said. I think he completely ignored it, which isn't true. The last thing he just went, the whole fucking history lesson here. I don't think he ignored it, but I don't think he nailed it either. I think he did. That's why I'm calling you out. You should have asked him. Well, Charlie, I asked him what I wanted. He had been talking for you an asked hour. Him about a ten he point said he plan. had to go. Well, that was in the middle of it. Yeah, a ten point plan about <laughs> well, what? Well, we can talk to him after the yeah, after him. the primary, and we're going to ask him who he's voting for, and we'll talk to him about it. He's not going to do it because he again. No, Charlie. Why didn't anybody ever say who they're going to vote for? I'm not going to argue with the guy. That's his perspective. I respect that, but that's everybody's perspective. Your perch shapes your perspective. No, Bob has a different where, approach. Where you sit that's what I'm is, saying. is where you sit saying. shapes that's how you see. That's not things. what we were just talking about. You said he failed to answer. That's not a matter of perspective. I didn't say that. Bob said yeah, that. you did. You said it. You, everybody rewind it like two and a half two what 90 seconds ago. 
what he failed to address. I said he failed to address the, the racial issue that, that happens in every interaction with the police that, like I said, I don't have to deal with. You know, that they, they, my race never comes up in, in my interaction with the police. And I said it was about training yeah. and respect, that right. it's not a preconceived. Everybody in the black community doesn't automatically hate the police. And I think that's unfair to feel that way just because there's a police presence. When you have a police officer that is trained and a police officer that is respectful, respectful of yeah. what he is there to do and the people that he's here to do it with, you don't have those issues. You just don't. But if you're a racist person and you become a police officer, you are now a racist cop. But you if you're do. a power-hungry person and you are become a cop, now you're a power-hungry cop. But you do. Because obviously this white guy can yell at cops and as long as it's explained to you, it's nice and professional. All the rest of us, at least maybe I'm not treated that way anymore. I certainly look at it a whole different way. What I want to be told and what I'm not told is why you fucking with me. Like, if you go out in Detroit and, you, and you're really doing real police, they don't ever tell you why. Stop, question, and frisk. You'd be like, why'd you pull the dude over? He was just walking. Yeah, he was walking in the street, so that's illegal. But he, but he also went hold back on, Hold on, hold on, hold on. About being suspicious. Hold on, hold on. All right. And then, well, why'd you pat him down? Well, because his um, hoodie was flouncy. It looked like it could be a weapon walk uh, tucked in there. That's the stop and frisk. That's actual probable cause, the shit that police do in real life. And then you watch enough times or you experience it. You're never told, you know, I stopped you. You're walking in the middle of the street and I, I saw that and I was... But you're supposed to be. Yeah, if I was the mayor, and I'm not, I would ask the chief of police not to be a bullshit artist, but to be tougher on crime, right? But being respectful and telling people why you're being pulled over, why you're being questioned, and saying, thank you, I'm sorry for the inconvenience, right? And well, like, don't even be doing it if you're not looking for a suspect. Well, I don't need you just like looking at dudes and pulling them over. But your experience with police, that, that's not how they operate. I don't know. How will you know? Well, Apparently, I, you get to yell at him and drive off and never go to jail. <laughs> well, yeah, I do. Have yeah, you but it's not and I, 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 I take an indignant stand with him. Well, what are you pulling me over for? What did I do? Or why do you want to search me? And you got a warrant? You know, See, why and, would you do that? See, respect because, goes both ways. That's true. Well, you're right. Respect does go both ways. So guy's doing his job, and, and, and you as a decent guy. But, well, if, he's and, not, but, but, if, he, but if he doesn't choose to But if to be I wasn't doing anything. He's not going to get the same pushback well, as you a don't know. guy in a hoodie. Well, but he's well, more but, likely but, but, to but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask. Yeah. Why are you pulling me over? Why, yeah. why are you But, why but are you, you say you, you do get hostile every time you get pulled over. <clears throat> no. No? No, I, I don't get hostile, but I... I Ask questions. Well, why, let me ask you, you this, Bob. Do you respond to the officer's demeanor when they pull over? Is it good afternoon, sir? How are you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, or if they come that's up. That's how and, it starts. It that's always what I'm saying. Starts. So who, who sets that tone and who responds? That's the other thing. If the oh, I don't say officer, shit. Guy pulls me over. I got my hands on the wheel. Right. Window crack. And I wait. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> and my baby daughter on the way to church goes, why are they pulling us over, Bob? I said, I don't know. Just, just put your hands where you can see them. Right. Just put your hands where you can see them. 
And now the cops, because of the new, I, I don't know, this new nothing. Cops are tripped out by people now. Sure. You can hear and it. And they shouldn't be cops. They never put their head into it. You never get to see them anymore. But people like that, Charlie, if you are afraid of people, if you are suspicious of people that don't look like you or just suspicious of a preconceived notion of a person of what a criminal looks like, no, I don't you're, care you're, about you're making statistics. it racist again. No, I'm not making it racist. You it just be, did, a preconceived no, notion. It, that doesn't have to be racist, Charlie. It doesn't have to be white it, or it, black. It, it, it can be the LGBTQ. It's everybody. It can be overweight people. It can be anybody. No, no, no. Yes, See, you guys, can, you guys Charlie. living in fantasy. I'm not. It is. It can be racist, it's but it's not the only thing, Charlie. If you, no, no, no Charlie, Damn, it's big words. No, look, everybody gets word. a gun now. Everybody's got a fucking gun. This is true. So you think a cop now walks up to a window and goes, "Howdy, ma'am." Hmm. Oh, there's a white dude. That's cool. How are you, sir? No, Charlie. No, they're always. Wait, let me finish. They're always in the back, looking at you, and you're not seeing them because it's a fucked up job. Sure, it's I dangerous. Very dangerous. I, I agree disagree. With that too. I disagree no matter what. They come to the window, you give them res- whatever. They come up to you, give them respect. When they start ask, acting disrespectful, then you might hear me. That's just me. But that's everybody, Charlie. I ain't looking to get fucked yeah. up by a Charlie, cop. If you got, if you have, if, if a police officer, you know, I mean, my daughter and my son both were pulled over at different times, and their their first thing is, whose car is this? What does that have to do with anything? What are you pulling them over for? So I'm saying, if in fact you're going to do your job, I understand they're apprehensive. Everybody's afraid of everybody. I got that. I understand that police officers feel like they're out ammoed by by criminals and by the general public. They deserve that respect. But God bless it. The community deserves respect too. And if you're afraid of me before you say anything to me, you don't need to be a cop. Oh wait you a minute, don't. wait a minute. Yeah, but see, that's all twisted because yeah. when I was young, no, when I was young, not not as dark as your son. And I'm driving around in a nice car. I get asked the same question. That's a cop tricker-upper. But why? What difference does it make? It's a cop tricker-upper. You're young, you're out cruising. You can run the plate. Well, you pulled over for a reason, not to just be checked, because you're getting a ticket. both times they let them go. So it's just like, where are you going, you know? Mm. I'm not saying anything was wrong with it, but what what is that? That whole bravado thing. Hey, whose car is this? Where are you going? Like, you know, what difference does it make where I'm going? What do you want? What did I do? It was my mom's car. It was my yeah, friend's car. I, when was I my... was young, I got pulled over for speeding, and the guy was standing, he was talking. I said, sir, I said, you know, if you're going to write me a ticket, write me a ticket because I got to go. Like, I don't need to sit here and talk. He wrote me a ticket. I had to go to court. But, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't think I was being disrespectful. I just didn't no. want to stand here and listen to a 20-minute, uh, <sighs> what's next, Charlie? Well, you're going to. What's the diatribe, yeah, that we got to listen to? Because huh? <laughs> my, my diatribe. <laughs> No, 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 with the with the police, because like I said, I and I'm very respectful when I get pulled over. I am too. But you gotta tell me why you're pulling me over. What did I do? Well, maybe he will. I don't get pulled over. I don't know. I just I'm only hearing. what I haven't in a long time. I haven't. I'm only hearing what you're saying, and I'm like, that's. But I have the utmost respect for our officers. I do. Absolutely. Oh, now we got the utmost respect for you. I've always had respect for the. God, that's easy to do. What an easy pivot. Come to me incorrectly. Fuck the police, but I respect them. No, I didn't say that, Charlie. I didn't say that. Oh, I know you didn't. Just Here, fucking have, radio. Have another beer. I will, well, now I, I, you're, I, I now you're insinuating I, that I I'm a that white position. drunk. <laughs> if you have not another, yet, give me two hours. If you have another beer, I'm not insinuating. It's accurate. Assessment. Oh my God! Did you see the market? <laughs> 
Yes. Oh. oh, it was down like 900 points or some damn thing again Couple today. thousand. Yeah, this is. Yeah, well, crazy. I was just talking about today. I'm yeah, going to yeah, tell yeah. you, bro, overreaction is not a strategy. We've been saying it. Man. How long? A long time. Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Wealth. We've been telling you this is no bullshit. 248-663-4748 for rational. Financial advice. Deliberate, strategic. Know your writ. Look, some people are buying now. Yeah, yeah, but in a minute, this will be the time to buy. Right. That's right. Some people are risk adverse. They're into bonds. Guaranteed revenue. I'm trying to convert. The (laughs) the markets are ping-ponging. The TV pundits do what they do. They punditize. Coronavirus. Coronavirus. Economic doom. Is it rationality or is it fear? Is it stocks or is it bonds? <laughs> Call Luke Nowacki. I just wrote that this morning. It's like poetry. Yeah, that's Don't great. Say grow like that, Luke. You like that? I think you because made up a new word. I think that's awesome. Don't that's say right. grow your assets. Grow your assets. And uh, and, and uh, on the down low, Karen, check, check. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> I like it better as we're getting used to each other. We're starting to snipe at each other. Charming. I like how we're sniping now. Hmm. Oh, it's snarky, all right. Because that's really real life. Okay. This, okay. So listen, call Luke Nowacki at Pinnacle Well, 248-663-4748. Get advice, get a strategy, position you and your investments, retirement, college savings plans for the long term. And always remember, securities and investment advisory service office. Inc. Oh my God, did you see the markets? Oh, yes, yeah. we did, Charlie. Oh, my God. Like, uh, treasury yields are, like, at an all-time low. How low yeah. can you go? I did some checking on the Freddie Mac website today. Do you know that mortgage rates on the benchmark 30-year are near a 50-year historic low? Jeez. They're the Gross. second lowest in 50 years. Yes, the coronavirus. People are running. Like, Chinese aren't coming here to buy property. Right. You're going to get a low rate. That's what's happening. And everybody's running to refinance. And so there's a backlog. What have we been telling you? Who's the quickest dog in town? Who? David Hall. Hall Financial. Give him a call. David Hall Mortgage.com or 248-308-5000. It's, man, this shit, this shit's at 3.5. Yeah, that's wow. Crazy. What'd you get? Uh, I did, uh, it was like 3.8. Eight or something. Ah, like you got yeah. fucked. Yeah, apparently. You gonna redo it again? No, no. You happy, right? I'm, I'm fine. That wasn't yes. too bad, though. I no, mean- it wasn't too bad, and it works out into our monthly payment, and I'm good. Our friends at Hall Financial want you to know you can pull equity from your home to make those changes to the kitchen, the bathroom that you keep talking about, but never get around to doing. And do it now. It's never gonna be lower. It's not gonna be lower. And you're always going to need that bathroom. Yeah, and you need to get done quick. And they average half the time as their competitors are getting these things through them. Everybody's getting in line now. They work to your schedule and your needs. You'll see. Get started by calling 248-308-5000. Or go to DavidHallMortgage.com. Um, David and the most important part of this whole thing, Equal Housing Lender, MLS, 1467435. Thank you. Dot com. What? Okay. Leave that music on a minute because I, I just, it's... Getting me into something. This. Trouble. Okay. <laughs> what the fuck in the world is going on with the Detroit Police Department? Okay. So you've got an informant working for you, 
who goes on to murder six people. Okay? What's the cat's name? Um, Kenyell Brown? Oh, Kenyell. 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 That's a new one. I never heard Kenyell. Have you... I never heard Kenyell. You gotta hang out in the hood, Charlie. Well, I never. I have hung out in the hood. Well, you didn't hang out in the right hood. Well, geez. <laughs> Kenyell? West, west Side. West that's Side. A west, that's a West Side name. Is it a West Side name? I don't know. Name? I don't know. I'm just talking. Wesley Snipes. Now I got. Oh, you said West Side. I thought you said Wesley. Not Wesley, no. I'm just talking. Okay, I don't know. No, keep talking. That's what it's about. This is fucked up. Okay, look, real quick. Explain what happened. Let me give it this guy's deal. Let me just go through Kenyell real quick. In the year 2000, he's running away from the police on some shit, and he hits somebody, kills him. In a car. Second degree yeah, yeah. murder or manslaughter. Right? He does his time. He gets out. He's carrying a gun. He gets pulled over. Oh, you're a felon with a gun. Okay? So they put him in the can. Then they let him out under supervision, right? Federal supervision. Probation. Yeah, right. probation. Right. Not parole, probation. ATF picks him up as an informant because he's in the neighborhood and he's hanging out with the dope crews and the gangs, right? He's an informant. Hey, everybody, if this guy lives because he shot himself in the head, I just remembered. If he's a snitch if he's coming back to prison. You know what to do. Okay. So, eventually, ATF lets him go. The DEA, working in a task force with the Detroit police, Pick them up. Okay? So the ATF had them. DEA Detroit wants them. The D, this is news. Listen, folks, here's it clearly. The DEA brass would not take Kenyell as an informant. Wouldn't do it. Didn't fit it. Because during this time when he's working with the ATF and he's under court supervision, He's doing dope. He's not showing up to the the probation officer. He's testing for narcotics and cocaine. They find him passed out drunk in a car. Nothing violent, that mind you. Though. Nothing violent, right? Just you. But you're not going to be an informant. You're flouting the law. No, right. you're still going to be an informant because who do you think informants are? They're criminals. Rabbis? Yeah, no. Girl Scouts? No. Generally, no. They're fucked up dudes. I've heard of informants worse than this. Yeah. Just Google it. Oh, yeah. Worse, worse than this. So, DEA, Detroit wants him. DEA's boss won't let him have it. Hey, Detroit, man, nobody fucking pays attention to what you're doing. So they funnel him in through Detroit. Detroit and DEA's working as a crew, okay? This is what happens. Kenyell goes to federal court. The federal judge releases him from supervision, even though he knew he was fucking up all along, but he knew he was working with the federal government. Let's, let's him go. Hours later, just hours later, Kenyell is hired as an informant for Detroit. So the DEA can also use him because they're working a task force, but he's hired through Detroit. They pay him one time, 150 bucks. My sources tell me he's pretty good. That's why everybody wanted to trade him. Here's what happened. In January, while not working for any law enforcement agency, guy starts going fucking berserk. He killed six people, allegedly. Fucking went on a fucking murder rage. Now, what's happening out there in the world is, how could the feds let this violent man 
being their employee and he's not in, in, in prison. It's stupid. Here's what's wrong. The chief of police of Detroit, James E. Craig, finds out that this guy was a federal informant. He's approached by the media. He starts blaming the feds, not knowing before he opened his mouth that he was the dude's employer. Once he finds this out, well, I'm upset the feds didn't tell us. Yeah, they did. In fact, you guys ran a background on him. And if the feds didn't tell you, why didn't your background work? Oh, and by the way, from 2015, when the narcotic squad got busted under you for the first but not last time, quote, Detroit police officials have overhauled the department's policy governing how paid sources are used after a federal indictment accused narcotics officers of working with informants to rob and extort drug dealers. Now, since you hired him, can't throw yourself under the bus, right? So now you've thrown the federal judge under the bus that kicked him to you. Now, your boss, the mayor of Detroit, Mike Duggan's daddy, was a federal judge. And you're burning every fucking bridge. They're not going to work with you. Not the state police, not the DEA, not the ATF, not the Wayne County prosecutor, not your own guys. Everybody's like, what's up with dude? The point is, an asshole Went crazy and sadly murdered. And six people died. Six people, allegedly. Like, I got to say that with this guy. And you're doing this? The point is the guy went crazy. The bigger point is how unaware the chief is, apparently, what goes on in his apartment. Because let me roll back six months. What was before this one? The narco... No. It wasn't the narcotics guys. It was off Officer Rasheem McClain. Yeah. See, I can't keep him sick, right? He gets killed by a man who three weeks earlier had shot up a house and came back to the house and killed Officer McClain. And before that, he killed a civilian and shot a couple more. All the while, the police had the man's name, the shooter, and the chief comes out and says, We didn't have a name. That's not true. You didn't know that the coward cop that was supposed to respond to that scene for McClain to be the supervisor allegedly, according to the chief, pussed out and never showed up. And it turns out he was a puss a couple years ago. Yeah, had a history of being. And was allowed back onto the force. By virtue of the chief of police's signature that apparently was forged in a different color than the chief's customary green ink. We still don't have an answer to that. And the chief doesn't know about that. Now, before that was the homicide, the narcotics unit, for the second time, stealing everything. Informants that weren't allowed to be informants. Embezzling their money. Stealing dope and reselling it. The second time you had reorganized it and you didn't know that. You didn't know they were on the take again after you reorganized it. And before that, I'm still in the eight month window here. 
the serial killer that the community said was a serial killer that the chief said was not a serial killer, only to find out he's a serial killer. And as an aside, those serial killer houses are still standing. Yeah, they're still up. Now. Mount Elliot and Mac. Man. Does that make sense? No. No, what I, okay, it didn't. Well, it, 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 it makes sense, the progression that he said, but the fact that it happened doesn't make sense. You know? No, I don't know. What do you mean? The mean what's the, going on with the Detroit Police Department that's letting that happen? The leadership. Yeah. Well, here's what's going on. Command of the major violators, which is the narcotics, and the task force, which, right, they're being reassigned, which would be the third, the third leadership in this squad in the last eight months. Wow. So, Charlie, let this me, is the problem. So let me ask you this. What, what do you see as the problem? Is it, and I know you, you in, in organization, organization, Accountability. But, but if you're moving around the very people who are not doing what they're supposed to do, you're not solving the problem. You're just readjusting it. Maybe what you do is you keep your eye on stuff and you, you don't overreact and jump in the media and, and you remain calm and you say, what happened here? And we fix it. And I don't just want to hear that it's fixed. See I'm it. expected to, I'm going to be working long hours. Show me the protocols. What did we do with the, with the informants? What are we doing to make sure narcotics aren't stolen again? What are we doing to vet our own confidential informants? Since we've been through this a couple times, it's seven years. Shit. Wow. Hey, now, the latest insane. There's more. This is next week's news today. Police Commissioner Willie Burton, he's been on the show, mm-hmm. on the facial yep. recognition software, asked the chief last week, are we using cellular capture technology to find suspects? To which the chief says, I don't know what you're talking about. I get a call. You know anything to it? I do some digging for everybody. What'd you find? Yes. It's called Base Station. It was purchased in 2016. Here. 11 May 2016. They took possession of it in 2017. Here's a non-disclosure agreement, meaning the police will not tell the public anything about this. So what does it do? What it does is it, it acts as sort of a, a fake cell tower. So we can ping folks. So you can get their location, right? right? Okay. The problem is, one, the Supreme, Supreme Court ruled in 2018, okay. you need a warrant. Yeah. It doesn't appear that in all cases, and I'm working on that, so this is what I'm getting. Uh, a woman in San Francisco did this research, did this work. I will post it. Fantastic. I need the spreadsheet on the warrants. How, By her estimation, having a conversation, maybe a third of all of these pings, there was like 66 or so in a year, 40 to 50 had a warrant, and the other ones didn't. And I want to know why, because the Supreme Court said, you do that, it's against the law. That's what I'm saying. So if you do that to capture a suspect, then doesn't that wipe out the whole process because you have... It would invalidate invalidate the prosecution, yeah. I mean, doesn't Mm. that... Oh, wow! That's a big deal. 
That's a lawyerly deal. That's right. Bye-bye. Vacate that, right? Let's find out. Secondly, more important to everybody out there is like, well, well you know, I've got nothing to hide. You know, well, he's a criminal. I'm like, the technology sweeps every and collects every phone in that vicinity at the same time, meaning the authorities have your stuff. Wow. It's not uncommon for police agencies in America to have this. But we weren't even told about it. It didn't even go through the police commission. But that was like facial res- recognition, too, because th- that's being that was being used anyway, even in spite of people saying, no, we're not using it. It has been it, it's already it was implemented already before the whole to me about it. thinking about this for a few days. This is a much bigger deal because facial recognition, they say they're using mug shots. Right. That they're, they assure us they're not using the driver's license database. Well, that's what they say. Well, th- that may be what they say, but there's been reports out there that they're collecting photos off the Internet. They're comparing the Internet once you become a suspect from the still. OK, there's a still. They take the mugshot. Right. They put the still in the mugshot data bank, spits out 100, and then they start going through your social media. Right. This is different. This is you're just collecting my shit. Right. Without a warrant. And even if you get a warrant on the person you're... Not only without a warrant, without a probable cause. Man, even if you got a warrant on the dude and got his information, right? You never had a warrant on me. This is like NSA Detroit. It's right here. You do have it. I don't know if you're using it today. I knew you, you were using it last year. And I know you bought it. And I know you knew about it, sir. Because it says, notification shall be directed to the attention of Detroit Police Department. Attention, James E. Craig, Chief of Police. Screw it up. Put your email out there. You're a public official. Come on. Where is anybody? You wrote this five years ago, dude. Hold them accountable. But like I always say, is the mayor looking at what is going on? I mean, you're only as good as the people around you. So if, in fact, I mean, even as deputy mayor, as the police chief, he reports to the mayor. Oh, yeah, he's the deputy mayor. But he reports to but the he's mayor. he's not elected. He's not an elected official. He reports to the mayor. And that's not just him, but the department. So we've said this before on this show about crime being an issue, regardless of what the numbers look like. You know, you can walk down the street or turn on the news and see Mm -hmm. that crime is still an issue. Mm -hmm. Why isn't it an issue for this administration, for the mayor? Now, I noticed in the state of the city, he said they were recruiting, you know, they wanted more police officers, the whole nine yards. But to me, it was was a little shade thrown because he didn't even acknowledge the chief. Well... That that's politics more, that's is more nice. Than a little shade. I'm gonna let that hang a second. But first, I want to before I answer that, I want you to acknowledge or disavow what I said that the way that shit's being run is outrageous. And if he was anywhere else in Bill Bratton's New York or Via Ragosa's L.A., 
He'd be gone on the next available trade. So, Do you agree? So I agree. Now, let me oh, ask you this. I okay. do agree, Charlie. Okay. I mean, but but I have to. Now I, we I, go I, to the mayor. No, but I, yeah. only, I only agree if, in fact, there are those deficiencies, and those deficiencies make a difference to the person responsible, which takes me back to the mayor. I'm saying that if, in fact, the, if crime is a priority or, or lack of crime or public safety is a priority, then those issues become where the mayor says, wait a minute, this isn't working. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So is it working? Is it not working? Or is this what Doug wants? So what's with the mayor, right? It works for him. Yeah, what's with, okay, so first of all, he does the say to the city speech. Let's start out how this goes. Well, wow, 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 what? Well, I was just going to say, I think part of what Karen just said about whether or not the mayor thinks it's a priority, it's not being reported on. So it's not a priority. He doesn't give a shit. Well, you got to remember you know, this. This this I don't administration. Even think we're following each other. Yeah, we are. This 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 administration has the largest communication staff ever. It is a well-oiled marketing campaign. That's all you are seeing, well, let, and it's working. Let's do this. That's look, guys. News. It's it's no bullshit. So, forget that. That's no. BS. Here's what he did. He had a state of the city speech, right? It's a presentation at a factory. With gates around it and snipers on the roof away from people like Agnes where they can't get to you. Invited only guests. And I talked to the invited only guests, the swingers there, the big swinging, you know, badges and and wangs, you know, the big players, the ballers. They're like nobody was there. It was weird. It was odd. It was a small crowd. Well, they were only appointees that I saw. Um, There's a few others. They shall be nameless. The mayor. Do tell, Charlie. The mayor. Pronounced a shift from talking about services to equitable development. Why would you shift from services? Because you're not providing any. The crime is ridiculous. The demolition? Oh, bro, they're coming. And those gates were padlocked by the feds on that big dump we reported on. The feds. And they're multiplying it. And I did the math. Adjusted for inflation. Right? In 1931 dollars. We've now spent nearly as much money on this bullshit demolition project that they're in trouble for that we equal almost equal to what we spent on the Hoover Dam. Wow. wow. Does that give you some kind of perspective of how big that is? It's huge. Where are the checks and balances, Charlie, on any of this? Firefighters are coming for your seniority in these contract negotiations. One thing you know about LaDuff, look, man, I'm not political with you. I know you guys get mad sometimes. I'm just trying to tell you what's what. You guys know it, but you don't know it like you should. Keep an eye on that. The negotiations start this month. 160 years of seniority will be moved towards merit only or whatever we think in this town is merit. I don't even know how, you know. Well, and who decides the merit? Right. Yeah. Right. Now, this was a provision in the, in the bankruptcy contract that was not used in all this time until the contract came due. So keep an eye on that. Here, um, <coughs> Agnes and the crew went down to City Hall today. It was, it was pretty crowded. The, the regular Detroiters who are owed $600 million and Duggan couldn't explain to them he said in the speech. Well, he said he he said, they weren't going to get it. He said in the speech, first of all, somebody, I, got, I got two very clear uh, text messages from folks during the state of the city. One was, how did he spend 20 minutes 
blaming everything on the previous administration. You, and the, and you. The, yeah, and the second thing was, so Detroit is perfect now. Those are the two standout texts that I got. And he uh, did. He spent, he spent 20 minutes talking about, well, this goes back to 10, this goes back to 11, this goes back. We had nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. He's been in office. This is a seventh state of the city speech. So you, is, is this almost like the issue that they had with the CFO, that the council didn't know about it, nobody knew anything about yeah. it until – just like, what's happening? Look, what's, you know what's happening. And what he said was, we ain't got you no know money. You what's happening. You aren't getting anything. You, you got a Chrysler, shit. gets 400-something million with some promises, and then a couple months later, Peugeot owns it, and the promises are dead. There's so much going on that I, I won't drown people with. But, hey, Mike, I'm looking into them railroad parcels, bro. $4.3 million for a sliver? Who's that going to? I'm on that. I am, brother. I'm on all of it. All of it. I am. I'll do it my goddamn self because I do love the people. I, I took a huge pay cut to do more work. Again, this... Is real, but that's your character and integrity, that's Charlie. Real, I that's mean, not is. right. It is, Charlie. But you function from a position of of integrity. You function from a position of passion about your commitment to this community, and it shows. Here, that's sh- it. show that. Speaking of that, nice segue, Karen. Show this right here. These aren't love letters. Attorney to General Dana Nessel. See that. That's my last box of flint. It says flint emails. Here. <laughs> this is my last box of flint. I couldn't keep them all. Got 55 days left till the statute of limitations goes into effect on whatever the first crimes were. What do you want me to do with them? We deserve to be apprised of what you're doing, if anything. Or did you blow it? What am I supposed to do with that? What am I supposed to do with it? Now, Flint is not done. You call my boy? Versace. Play, Versa- uh, play Versace's video. This is a dude. He goes around. He takes pictures of abandoned buildings. Detroit, okay, he did it. He's, he's moved his... Oh, it's Bill Bratton. He's moved his attention to Flint. Here's what he found. Is the sound on? Because I'm not wearing the headphones because it crinkles my hat. Oh, wow. Awful. And this. See, they definitely have a water epidemic in fucking Flint. Oh, my God. Wow. That is crazy. It's the donated water in Flint. Where's the money? Yeah. Oh, it just keeps going. Wow. <laughs> Somebody's st- stacked by him. Somebody's coming to get him. Another room. Hey, Versace, you there? More? You gotta be fucking kidding me. Hey, Versace. Wow. 
Wow, look at all that. I did. Wow. And that's just one place. Yeah, not not even the... the <laughs> oh, you there, Versace? I just heard I it. think I heard some. Wouldn't be a show without some technical fucking difficulties. I'll just stop and drink this delicious beer, which goes deliciously. Yeah. Hey, man, you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Right here. Sorry, I was just having uh, one of these Coney Island fish sandwiches every Friday. American Coney Island yep. fish sandwiches. Hold on. Oh, you're all good. Uh-huh. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, he was there. Oh, he was there? Yeah. Oh, there, guys. Not now. Let's calm down now. I'm, we, we're, I'm listening. Let's go. I'm listening. Oh, you lost oh, he's him. not there? Okay, we'll finish doing, right. doing your food porn, Charlie. All right. For the people that are listening and didn't see that, we'll have Versace on it. He can tell us. I'm just stalling. All right. I like that. <laughs> That's bad. Sorry about that. What'd you do, man? It was on Sprint. Goddamn phone service. <laughs> you said Sprint <laughs> or Flynn. It was fucking Bob. <laughs> Either one's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> True that. <laughs> Definitely. And, now listen, is it, is it is it Michael or John, man? John. John William Versace. Oh, John William. You're you're Johnny Versace. I told you Johnny sounded Yes, sir. Get to Johnny you lives. Johnny B. lives. I told you that. I loved you in that, in that documentary, you know, the one where you got shot in front of your house? Yeah, I came back from that, though. A little bit of surgery. I'm good now, though. Got better. Glad to hear it. Got Much some, better. Got some magical... <laughs> Dude, what... Okay, tell us what you found and where you found it and how much you okay, found. Okay, so I used to do a lot of, lot of urban exploring in Detroit, you know, just because of all our abandonment. I do photography, stuff like that. I do a lot of going into buildings, checking stuff out. So there's not a lot to do in Detroit much because they sealed up a lot of stuff, which is a good thing. So I kind of wanted to branch out, so I figured I want to go to Flint because I've been hearing how much abandonment and what's going on there. Yeah, <laughs> Me and my buddy went out the other day. Is this on? Go on? Another corpse to pick on. I got it. Go ahead. Right, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. I want to go check it out. So somebody had told me about a church called St. Agnes. They were like, hey, the back door is open, you know, real easy. You can just go right in. So I go in this church, and I'm looking around, a beautiful place. Luckily, nobody's done anything to it. So I start thinking, I'm like, you know what? I remember when another urban explorer released a video about some water in a school. So I'm like, you know what? I think we're on that property. So I hurried up and Googled it. Sure as fuck, that's where I'm at. But that the where that water's at is like another school that sits on the same property but behind the church. So I'm like, you know what? I want to go over there and just see, you know, see what they did. See if they got all that shit out of there. So we went over there. Another building, wide open. Didn't have to do anything except walk right in the door. And then I walked in, and that's where you see the video. How much water is that, dude? Honestly, over a thousand cases. Cases. And the thing is, if you watch the video even to the end, I didn't even see everything. I left. There was still a lot of buildings, so I don't know if there was more. So how do you feel and, about look, bro? Look, let me let me put this in perspective because I'm I I know how you feel. Six hundred fifty million dollars went to Flint, which included bottled water. Right. Whether this was donated or purchased, a colossal waste of money in a town where we don't know where much of that money went in the first place. Right. Exactly. What the fuck's going I on? Don't. And then not only that, so then over at Flint Northern, that's another, that's a school. That, another that high down. school that's well, closed. 
Yes, but I actually have a picture. I'll send it to you. I think I did. I sent it to you through Messenger because my friend went there before I did this. There's water in there that there's nothing wrong with. It's on pallets. You can see it through the window, and there's like a whole fucking hallway. Like, I'm talking, now we're talking probably three to 4,000 cases, but there, they actually, somebody donated that. They, the city purposely put it in that school, but then now nobody knows why it's still sitting in there. And I was also told that all these schools were going to be, you know, that you could get right in. It's kind of funny. The day I was there with doing that video, they started freshly boarding up all them schools where the water. I don't know about the one I was in, but uh, Flint Northern, they sealed that up like fucking Fort Knox. Well, wait a minute, dudes. Speaking of which, where'd you go to high school? Me? Fraser High School. They didn't teach you that the proper languages. They started boarding up those high schools? I was thinking that. (laughs) With them high I'm, you go with it, redneck. Goddamn, man, it's Ever all right. First, you say, "Yeah, I know the difference. I just speak the way I speak." Right? That's what you say. Right. Right. That's on. just me. Yeah, well, you know, this is Karen Dumas. If you don't know her, this is Johnny Versace. I told you he was Johnny. Uh, hi, Karen. Hey, Johnny. How this are is you? Wolfman Bob Shettlebauer. And oh, yeah. I love all your designs. Versace is my favorite. And, and this yeah, is I Joey. Try, the, I try. This is Joey the uh, Millennial Mannequin. Oh, yeah, I was watching him earlier. Oh, you were? Was he moving? Yeah. No, he doesn't move much. He just kind of sits there, it looks like to me. That's what mannequins do, Joe. Because he's dying of liver right, failure exactly. and an ear infection. Man, leave him alone. <laughs> God damn. you a hard hey, so, so NBC 25 News up in Flint did my, I let them have my video. They wanted to interview me. I said, no. I told them, you can use my name. It's already out there anyways. So they showed, they showed that idiot, Eric Mays, the councilman. Eric Mays. That's Charlie's Oh, that friend. guy. So he's a friend of the show. But go ahead. What do you think? Right, I'm just saying, well, that he sure deferred it because as soon as they showed him my video, they started talking about it. He completely got completely off the subject and just turned it around and was talking about that school that the owners did this, the owners did that. And, but the city owns that school. That's what politics they bought that whole is. property. What's that, Bob? Bullshit. You recognize that voice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do actually like the way he talks. He cracks me up. He's a really smart guy, and he's probably... Oh, I'm sure he is. I, I just have a few issues of some of the things he's done and said, but, you know, who am I to know? I don't know the whole truth there, but he just he just seemed to get ready, and so did the Flint News Station. They completely got off the whole fact that the water's still sitting there. And that's, look... The the point is this. The people of Flint continue to suffer. We spent a lot of money. The shit was mismanaged. Nobody bothered to look. Nobody. Except no bullshit news. Johnny, I got a box here full of fucking shit people should be indicted on. In fact... Oh, I see that. Right? In fact, the the investigation was based off of that. And if you want to know really what it's about, you can go to YouTube, put in LaDuff, Flint... And the videos will come up and it'll lay out the fucking case and who's supposed to be indicted. But our attorney general got so political about it. She shut the case down and started over. And there might just might be a couple of flashy indictments that don't mean much because she's not going to be able to understand. In fact, madam, madam attorney general, I got people in your office, too. Hey, Mike, Mike Duggan, I got people in your office. Madam Whitmer, I got everywhere. You know why? Not that I'm a spy. Because people appreciate 
people like Versace and Ladoff and Dumas. So Shut up, we're coming together. <laughs> they're not snitches. Hey, Versace, you get paid to splunk in there or did you just do it? I just do it. Did I just you, enjoy it. Did you post that because you get you get a boner on empty clicks or did you think people needed to know it? I'll be honest. Yeah. Sometimes I'll post some shit because who doesn't love attention? But I'm not, I'm going to be straight 100% with you. I posted that because I wanted people it was already out there, but I wanted to see people to people to see that nothing's changed. The fucking shit's still sitting there. Okay. Doing nothing there. I know some of it's bad, but there was a I, my buddy drank it. There was a whole other section where I guarantee that water was fine. Nothing leaked on it. It looked. It looks to me like they added water. Well, let's just be honest. From a okay? year ago, a bunch of wasted water is a hill of fucking beans, right? But right. it's a symbol. Exactly. It became the symbol of Jada Pinkett Smith. Where are you, Jada? Right. That was the life source that we were worried about. That's really where our money was supposed to go. And it went to right. shit like developing the theater downtown. And guess who they're connected to? That's right. It's all a game. <laughs> right, right. And, it, and it's bad, too. Like, I, uh, I, I went into, there's a funeral home that's been in the news out in Flint. I went in there for a minute. I couldn't believe it. There's people's ashes laying out on the floor. And I know the police were in there. That's a whole other story in itself. Yeah, they were in there arresting your fucking grave robbing ass. Stay out of the funeral. Have some respect. <laughs> Burn some sage. Throw some holy water. I'm telling you. All right, listen, Versace. Um, you are now, you are now the unofficial, official Splunker photographer for the No Bullshit News Hour. I got you. Are you in? I'm in, 100%. Tell what I'm going to do. You're not getting paid, but I'm going to send you a That's Coney fine. kit. I'm going to send you a Coney kit. Oh, I love fucking Coney's. Are you yeah. kidding me? What's your favorite? Like American Coney Island? Uh, no, I hate no, to say no, wait, cut that, cut. Well, what? What's your favorite? Like you're fucked, Lafayette. No, you are American. <laughs> yeah. American's really good. Oh, that's the one. All right, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I'm not going to say it. I just refuse to rip on Lafayette. Although I could do it. Don't do that, Charlie. Be- I cannot. Do my friends are about, quick about those two. Which, wait, yeah, wait, go ahead. Listen, my brother, my brother's your age. My brother, he goes. Your younger brother? Town, he lives, older brother. He oh, lives God. in Tennessee, but listen, Much when older. he comes here, he gets, he goes to Lafayette and he buys their hot dogs on the bun. He picks that up, takes it next door to American, and they put the chili, mustard, and onions from there. Uh. He's been doing that for 20 years. Hey, Grace, do you allow that? <laughs> what do you charge for the fixings? Oh, she's like, fuck no. Oh, she can't hear. I, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, Bob, 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 you're supposed to speak in the microphone. He was talking oh, to Grace. I was talking to Grace. Hey, we have a song for Johnny. Do you know there is a song called Versace by yeah. Migos? We're trying to extract yeah. it. Yeah, Versace, Versace, Versace. Yeah, we have a background. Go ahead, background. Go ahead give, give me a couple of bars background of that, bro, because we're going to go. Give me a couple of bars while I take <laughs> us out, all right? Do it, Karen. No, no, you that's do it. Your Versace, song. Just, just do it. Go ahead. Fosachi, 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 Fosachi. No, don't do that's it, Johnny. We're, we're, Bob's gonna play okay, it for I just, you. No, no, just, no, 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 because we're not, we're not playing that. Would you just? I want. No, just his background music. I know. Child. I'm gonna. I got. I got it. Okay. Don't worry. Come on. You gotta do all the goddamn work. Okay. I just. Did I was gonna do it like this. Ready? Just. No. Don't put it on, Bob. Don't put it. on. Let this motherfucker put, t- take it off. Okay. Mm. He's going, Versace, 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 Versace. Okay, that's what you're going to do. Just give me that. Give me that loop. Versace, Versace, Versace. 
Versace, Versace, Versace. I'd never buy that. <laughs> give me, a, give me, yeah, there you go. That's a good uh, interchange. Versace, Versace. Bob, turn it down, man. Versace, Versace, yeah, Versace. <laughs> Versace, Versace. Okay, go ahead. Versace, Versace, Versace. Versace. Now, what did we learn, Versace. Karen? <laughs> that he, he may be a great No, what did we learn today? Today or just with Come on, Versace, give me some back. Jesus. Okay. <laughs> we learned that I should just stick to taking pictures. That's what I was going to say. Okay, Versace, listen, right. listen, bro. We're going to let you go. Uh, uh, text me your address. I'll get you the Coney kit and um, let us know what you're doing. All right? Do the people's awesome. work. I will, man. Citizen right, journalist. Thank you guys so much. All right. All right. Take Thank care. you. Johnny you guys too. have a great weekend. You too. Thanks, Thanks for doing that. Bye-bye. All right, Karen. All right. yes. What did we learn today? Things are screwed up. That's what I learned. <laughs> That's an understatement. Seriously, I mean they are, and the and the sad part about it is that they have been screwed up. We keep putting people in place to unscrew them. What they do is actually screw them tighter, and so we're just in this endless cycle of being screwed up. Hmm. Yeah. That's where we're at. This is a dirty old town. It's my profound statement for the week. You're right. This is a dirty. Old town. Love you, Bob. See ya. Thanks for the sandwiches, Grace. Mannequin. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Karen. You too, Charlie. Try to love one another. I met my love. By the gasworks wall Dreams a dream By the old canal I kiss my girl By the factory wall Dirty old town Dirty old town Clouds are dressed Across the moon Cats are prowling On their beams Springs a girl From the streets at night Dirty old town Dirty old town Shining still, 
Dream the dream by the old canal 